Welcome to this episode of A Minder. This is the first of my episodes for this series and features treatments that target neuronal and synaptic function in Alzheimer's disease. We'll be focusing on 15 papers that were published in August of 2021. Topics in this episode include new and established anti-AD drugs that are tested in vitro and in vivo in disease models, and even a couple clinical trials at the end if that's what you're interested in. I'll be back after this brief introduction from Sarah. Welcome to Aminder, a podcast where we summarize the latest publications on Alzheimer's disease for you, so you can spend more time doing awesome research. For every month, you'll find a series of episodes by theme, and each comes with a bibliography. Whether you're in the lab, on the bus, or cooking your meal, we hope you find this podcast useful and accessible. My name is Anusha, and I'll be guiding you through these next 15 papers. I've arranged them in a way that starts with drug discovery and synthesis and ends all the way in clinical testing. Before we get started, I have an exciting announcement to make, which is that we've been sponsored by the Canadian Consortium on Neurodegeneration in Aging. This funding is going to help us purchase equipment, secure a platform to host our podcast, and so much more. So a big thank you to CCNA. We'll be sure to mention any publications that were funded by CCNA and tell you a little bit more about what they do as our series progresses. A couple disclaimers before we jump into the content. Number one, this sponsorship will not affect the content or our summaries in any way. And number two, these papers, while all published in peer-reviewed journals, don't get assessed by us for the quality of the science. That's a judgment you can make for yourself by visiting the free bibliography that is attached to the episode notes. We publish a new episode three days a week, which means there are still tons of topics that we don't end up covering. But fear not, even those papers that we don't cover are published in those free bibliographies. All right, let's get into it with paper number one in our first section that looks at drug discovery and testing in vitro. Paper number one is called Inhibitory Activities of Sulfur Compounds in Garlic Essential Oil Against Alzheimer's Disease-Related Enzymes and Their Distribution in the Mouse Brain. The first author is Yoshioka, and the last author is Zaima, and this was published in the Journal of Agricultural and Food Chemistry. The authors, at least most of the authors, are affiliated with Kindai University in Japan. Our first paper of this episode is investigating the physiological effects of garlic essential oils, as garlic has been reported in the past to have neuroprotective properties in a dementia setting. Authors found that several sulfur-containing compounds within the garlic essential oil demonstrated inhibitory action against AD-related enzymes. They don't specify which enzymes in the abstract, so we'll leave you a link in the bibliography to check for yourself. They also mention that the cohort treated with the garlic essential oils showed organosulfur compounds in the serum and brain after six hours. They don't mention the model they used to measure distribution and activity, at least in the abstract though. 
They conclude by suggesting further investigation of allyl, allyl mercaptan and allyl methyl sulfide for its activities in the brain, as these sulfur compounds were found to be the most abundant in the body following garlic essential oil administration. Paper number two is titled Potential Anti-Alzheimer Agents from Guanidinyl Tryptophan Derivatives with Active with activities of membrane adhesion and conformational transition inhibitions. The first author is Wangratanakaman, and the last author is Yuin, and this was published in the journal Molecules. Authors are affiliated with Chiang Mai University and Chulalongkorn University in Thailand. In this paper, we are looking at guanidinyl tryptophan derivatives, which can inhibit amyloid aggregation. Here, authors investigated the interaction of amyloid beta or A-beta monomers with lipid bilayer membranes using computational simulation. Looking at molecular dynamics, they found that the derivative called TGN4 can interfere with A-beta monomers' ability to bind with the membrane. They provide insight into which amino acids are involved in the binding of TGN4 to A-beta 1 to 42, but I encourage you to check out that information in more detail for yourself. If you are interested in amyloid beta pathology or treatments for this pathology, these are both topics that the lovely bibliography team has compiled literature searches for, so head over to aminder.com to take a look at those. Our next paper is paper number three. It's entitled Synthesis and Biological Evaluation of Novel Triazone Derivatives as Positive Allosteric Modulators of Alpha-7 Nicotinic Acetylcholine Receptors. The first author is Wang and the last author is Sun, and this was published in the Journal of Medicinal Chemistry. The authors are affiliated with Peking University and Qingdao University in China. One recurring feature of AD brains is a loss of nicotinic acetylcholine receptors in disease-relevant areas. Therefore, targeting nicotinic acetylcholine receptors could be a way to relieve cognitive deficits in AD, and that's exactly what the authors here are trying to do with this next paper. They designed, created, and tested a series of positive allosteric modulators to the alpha-7 nicotinic acetylcholine receptor and found compound 10E to be the most promising of the bunch. It was able to increase receptor activation by 38-fold when bound to acetylcholine. It also was found to cross the blood-brain barrier in mice and rescued auditory gating deficits in mice that displayed schizophrenia-like behavior. They also report results of molecular docking analysis and suggest this is a compound that can be looked into further for treatment of both schizophrenia and Alzheimer's disease, or AD. We're now moving into another section, which is the testing of potential compounds in models of Alzheimer's disease. This is paper number four, and it's titled AZP 2006, A New Promising Treatment for Alzheimer's and Related Diseases. The first author is Kalizot, and the last author is Ververde, and the journal is Scientific Reports. The authors are affiliated with Parc Eurosanté and Neurosis in France. 
In this paper, we'll be exploring the therapeutic potential of progranulin, which is quite vast since it can promote neurite and synapse growth, reduce inflammation, and increase neuronal survival. Here, authors are trying to identify the interaction with progranulin to a molecule that is in phase 2 clinical trials for the treatment of progressive supranuclear palsy. They say they tested in two different animal models of AD, as well as in neurons inoculated with A-beta 1-42. to This molecule, called AZP2006, seems to bind to a cofactor of progranulin and inhibits the pro-inflammatory toll-like receptor 9. This can definitely be followed up on since it is already being tested for safety and efficacy in humans. Paper number 5 is entitled, Alteration of Gene Expression in Reactive Astrocytes Induced by A-Beta 1-42 Using Low Dose of Methamphetamine. The first author is Sultanian, and the last author is Masudian, and this was published in the journal Molecular Biology Reports. The authors come from three different institutes in Iran. You may or may not know this, but there is a reduction in the number of astrocytes in Alzheimer's disease brains. Here, authors modeled conditions in vitro using a stress paradigm on primary fetal human astrocytes and tested the effects of low-dose methamphetamine in this model. They looked at gene expression and protein phosphorylation of targets including GSK3-beta, CDK5, and protein kinase C-alpha, which were all modulated with low-dose methamphetamine treatment. Their results point towards methamphetamine having protective effects in reactive astrocytes at low doses. We do have more papers on the influence of glia and neuroinflammation in AD pathology as well as treatments that target them. They're all found in our extensive bibliography, so check that out on aminder.com. Next is paper number six. Epibrasinolide prevents tau hyperphosphorylation via GSK3-beta inhibition in vitro and improves Cyanorhabdus elegans lifespan and motor deficits in combination with roscovitin. The first author is Yerlikaya, and the last author is Unsal, and this was published in the journal Amino Acids. The authors are affiliated with several institutes out of Turkey. So speaking of GSK3-beta, the signaling pathway of this protein is associated with a host of disorders, including Alzheimer's disease. Inhibitors of GSK3-beta have been unsuccessful in practice so far, but authors attempt targeting it with a compound that is similar to mammalian steroid hormones. This is called epibrasinolide and was tested alongside another potential GSK3-beta inhibitor called roscovitin. In vitro and in C. elegans Alzheimer's disease models, treatments of both of these compounds inhibited phosphorylation of GSK3-beta, which inhibits this enzyme. It also seemed to promote survival and reduce A-beta toxicity-induced paralysis in the C. elegans. Finally, the phosphorylation site that was targeted by these compounds was found to be the serine-9 residue. 
Our next paper is a little bit tangential, even though it falls into this section. It's paper number seven and is entitled Dexmedetomidine Alleviates Lipopolysaccharide Induced Hippocampal Neuronal Apoptosis via Inhibiting the P38 MAPK CMIC Click 4 Signaling Pathway in Rats. The first author is Chen, and the last author is Fun, and this was published in Molecular Neurobiology. The authors come out of Northeast Agricultural University in China. In our next paper, we look at the Sprague-Dolly LPS, or lipopolysaccharide-induced model of neuroinflammation to test the neuroprotective effects of a compound called dexmedetomidine in the hippocampus. When this compound, which I'll refer to as DEX for short, was administered IP, DEX reduced hippocampal apoptosis and levels of pro-inflammatory cytokines. They suggest that this is through the actions on the P38 MAPK CMIC CLIC4 signaling pathway. We have covered neuroinflammation in the past and may cover it in hosted episodes in the future as well. But in the meantime, if you're interested, this topic does have a corresponding bibliography on our website. Before we move on to our next paper, let's take a short break as we are halfway through the episode. Hey listeners, I'm here to let you know Aminder is recruiting. If you're interested in joining us, shoot us an email at aminderpodcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Enjoy the rest of the episode. Welcome back. We begin our second half of this episode with paper number eight. Activation of GPR-55 attenuates cognitive impairment and neurotoxicity in a mouse model of Alzheimer's disease induced by A-beta-1-42 through inhibiting Rho-A-ROC2 pathway. The first author is Jiang and the last author is Wu. This was published in the journal Progress in Neuropsychopharmacology and Biological Psychiatry. The authors are affiliated with Anhui Medical University and West Anhui Health Vocational College in China. Keeping on theme of using AD rodent models, this paper uses an A-beta 1-42 induced AD mouse model to test the effects of an agonist of the GPR55 receptor or G-protein coupled receptor 55 called O162. This receptor may function to improve learning and memory in mice and is downregulated by A-beta treatment. In the Morris water maze and novel object recognition tasks, O1602 improved memory impairment and reduced base 1 or beta secretase 1 levels and soluble A-beta 1-42 levels in the hippocampus and in the frontal cortex. This compound also upregulated PSD95 and synaptophysin proteins, which resulted in improved synaptic function. Authors conclude by suggesting the mechanistic involvement of the Rho-A-ROC2 pathway on O1602's effects on cognitive impairment and neurotoxicity. The next paper is paper number 9. Lamivudine improves cognitive decline in SAMP8 mice, integrating in vivo pharmacological evaluation and network pharmacology. The first author is Lee, and the last author is Liu, and this was published in the Journal of Cellular and Molecular Medicine. 
The authors belong to Shandong University as well as the provincial hospital in China. This next paper is testing more of an anti-aging and not necessarily an anti-AD compound, but the two are heavily intertwined. We're looking at a model of accelerated aging called the SAMP8 mouse model, in which the potential therapeutic lamivudine was administered through gastric perfusion over four weeks. They found that this treatment partially rescued mRNA alterations and AD-like phenotype in the hippocampus and cortex. More specifically, this compound reduced hippocampal cell death and may signal through estrogen receptors and the PI3 kinase AKT signaling pathways, as they demonstrate interactions in vitro. In conclusion, this paper goes over behavior, histology, and biochemistry involved in the actions of lamivudine in SAMP8 mice. Up next is paper number 10, which is entitled Potentiation of Cognitive Enhancer Effects of Alzheimer's Disease Medication Memantine by Alpha-7 Nicotinic Acetylcholine Receptor against PHA-543613 in the Morris Water Maze. The first author is Brushed, and the last author is Hernadi, and this was published in the journal Psychopharmacology. The authors are affiliated with the University of Pech in Hungary. Memantine is a treatment to improve cognition in dementia and AD, and authors aim to enhance its cognitive effects by co-administering memantine with an alpha-7 nicotinic acetylcholine receptor modulator. That was covered in paper number three, if you remember. They found that co-administration improved performance better than either treatment alone, and lower doses of both treatments could be used to achieve pharmacological effects on long-term memory. If you're interested in cognition and behavior, Ellen Koch will be exploring papers on that subject at the end of this series, so stay tuned for that episode. Paper number 11 is entitled Limiting RIR2 Open Time Prevents Alzheimer's Disease-Related Deficits in the 3XTG AD Mouse Model. The first author is Liu, and the last author is Chen, and this was published in the Journal of Neuroscience Research. The authors are spread across University of Calgary in Canada and two Chinese institutes in Junming and Shenyang. We've got three more papers to go in this section. This time, AD was modeled using the 3XTG AD mouse and was investigated in the context of ryanidine receptor 2 inhibition, as this group has recently shown that it can prevent neuronal hyperactivation, impairment of memory, and loss of dendritic spines and neurons in the 5XFAD mouse. They tested for behavior, electrophysiological recordings, cell body staining, and found that shortening the open time of this receptor in the 3XTG model can alleviate AD-like pathology as well. This was confirmed through mutating the channel itself to reduce open time as well as with pharmacological inhibition. So targeting ryanidine receptor 2 seems to be a promising AD treatment in more than one model of Alzheimer's disease. Next is the 12th paper of this episode, The Effect of Vitamin B12 on Synaptic Plasticity of Hippocampus in Alzheimer's Disease Model Rats. The first author is Merdad, and the last author is Emsegol, and this was published in the International Journal of Neuroscience. 
The authors are affiliated with Golestan University of Medical Sciences in Iran. I'll also mention that this has only one middle author who goes under the surname Layla. In this study, we're once again visiting the hippocampus and looking at how to protect it from neuroinflammation in a scopolamine-induced AD rat model. 14 days of pretreatment with neuroprotective vitamin B12 was followed up with scopolamine administration. Brains were harvested and sectioned for immunoblotting. They found alterations in the scopolamine-induced brains that include reductions in synaptic proteins like PSD95 and Nurexin-1 and increased levels of pro-inflammatory and pro-apoptotic proteins. These were reduced with B12 administration so it seems that vitamin B12 could help preserve pre- and postsynaptic integrity in the hippocampus. Paper number 13 is called The Effects of Regulative Mechanism of Scutellaria Bicalensis Georgi Stems and Leaves Flavonoids in Promoting Neurogenesis and Improving Memory Impairment Mediated by BDNF erc Kreb Signaling Pathway in Rats. The first author is Sheng, and the last author is Liu, and the journal is CNS and Neurological Disorders Drug Targets. The authors are affiliated with Shengde Medical College, and once again, we only have one middle author who goes by the surname Ding. This group of researchers hypothesized that neurogenesis and memory can be improved through the bdnf erc kreb signaling pathway activation in AD-like rats. Aluminum trichloride was given in combination with A-beta 25-35 to to generate this rat model and was tested for using the Morris water maze to look at learning and behavior. Most importantly, flavonoids derived from the leaves and stems of the plant commonly known as the Chinese skullcap were tested for their potential to activate the BDNF signaling pathway and improve memory. This is exactly what they found through their behavioral and biochemical assays, but I won't get into the exact details for the sake of brevity. Check out the paper if you're interested. We are entering our final section of this episode, which is looking at phase two clinical trials. We have two papers in this section, the first of which is our 14th paper of the episode. It's entitled Rationale and Study Design of a Randomized Placebo-Controlled Double-Blind Phase 2B Trial to Evaluate Efficacy, Safety, and Tolerability of an Oral Glutaminyl Cyclase Inhibitor, Veroglutamsat, in brackets PQ912, in study participants with MCI and mild AD, hyphen Viviad. Co-first authors are Vij Verberg and Axelsen, and the last author is Shelton's, and this was published in Alzheimer's Research and Therapy. The authors are affiliated with Vrije Universiteit Amsterdam, Brain Research Center Amsterdam, and University of Copenhagen in Denmark. We are now moving on to studies in humans, and with this territory also comes with conflict of interest statements as the last author consults and sits on the boards of several pharmaceutical companies. So keep that in mind as we explore the outline of a new double-blind phase 2 clinical trial that is expected to report findings in early 2023. 
This paper looks at the Viviad trial, which tests the drug veroglutamsat, which inhibits glutaminyl cyclase. This enzyme's activity can lead to increases in a phosphorylated form of A-beta that is highly synaptotoxic. This trial will look at the efficacy of this drug on cognition, brain activity, and AD biomarkers, so take a look if you're interested in experimental design or the drug veroglutamstat. Finally, we have paper number 15, Neuroprotective Effect of Transresveratrol in Mild to Moderate Alzheimer's Disease, a randomized double-blind trial. The first author is Gu and the last author is Gui, and the authors belong to several institutes in China. The journal this was published in is Neurology and Therapy. Our final paper will be delving into the results of another human study that involved 30 participants that had been diagnosed with mild to moderate AD. The placebo group was compared to the group that received the antioxidant transresveratrol for an entire year. They found that while levels of the less toxic A-beta-40 were no different in the blood and CSF at the end of the treatment period for the treatment group, the placebo group showed a marked decrease of the levels of this form of A-beta after one year. MRI showed brain volumes of the treated group was smaller than the placebo group. Finally, levels of the inflammation-associated mixed metalloprotease 9 was reduced by almost 50% after a year of treatment, and this was significantly different from the placebo group. I'd be interested in whether these changes in the brain are correlated with quality of life improvement or improvement in learning and memory, so maybe I'll check out the paper after I'm done recording this episode. This brings us to the end of another episode of Aminder, the first episode in our August 2021 series, in fact. We are releasing episodes every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, so please stay tuned for many more episodes that may whet your appetite. In fact, in just a few days, I'll be hosting another episode on targeting neurotransmission in AD. You can also check out Glory's upcoming episode on synaptic transmission changes if you're more interested in mechanism disease pathology. While you're checking those out, please leave us a review on whatever platform you listen to us with. It can go a long way in getting a minder out there. Connect with us over Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. And while you're on YouTube, you can find me and my music, including this very piece that you're hearing right now that's called Journey of a Neurotransmitter. My channel is called AK Music, and I'm also on SoundCloud under Anusha Kamesh. I want to thank the sorting team, Jacques, Ellen Koch, Nicole, Kate Van Pelt, Christy, and Dana. And thank you to the management team, which includes Sarah, Ellen Koch, Ellen Rowe, Nyla, Jacques, and myself for keeping the ball rolling behind the scenes. Thank you also to Kira for reviewing my script, Ellen Koch for reviewing my edits, and to Anjana for the bibliography. I hope this podcast was useful and accessible for you and your peers, and that you take care of yourselves. Bye-bye.